Now, I'm sure when that happened to you, um, you didn't end up becoming a literal pig. I mean, some people would call me that. <laughs> but <just laughs> but not, not literally. Not literally. So this is I Made Her Watch, the show where essentially two best friends make each other watch stuff that they otherwise wouldn't on their own. And I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm your host, Vanessa. And this week I made Vanessa watch the classic film Spirited Away by Hayao Miyazaki. So Vanessa, is this your first anime film? Yes, it is. So I have seen, I should say, you've made me watch snippets of (laughs) other anime shows and movies before, but they've only been snippets and I've never actually sat down myself and watched a full thing. So this would be my first. Yeah. So um, this was a film that I watched as a kid. So this film originally came out in Japan in 2001. And then the English dub, which is the one that we watched on Netflix, came yeah. out in 2002. I can't say that I watched it for sure in 2002. Mm-hmm. But it, like soon after it came out, I have the DVD. And okay. mind you, I wanted to watch the DVD version. Um but I could not find a DVD player in my house. (laughs) How does one play a DVD in this day and age? I actually don't know. And what really sucks about it is the reason why I wanted to watch the DVD version is because Mm -hmm. they have, um, the DVD version has director's commentary. I think the people that worked on the English version though, like probably like the English director, I'm not sure if it has the original Japanese um, version of the film. I'm not hundred percent sure. Mm-hmm. Probably have to actually look at the case, but Spirit Away is the first Miyazaki film that I watched ever. Okay. And, and it just started this long collection of Miyazaki DVD films that turns out I can no longer watch because I do not have a DVD player. What a shame. You are reminding me though of that time when like, I think it was like Lion King two and a half or one and a half. I'm not sure which one it was. I know I have it on DVD. It's not VHS, but I remember it had like the director's cut version or some commentary with it, I think. And you're reminding me of like the fact that DVDs used to have that stuff. Which is, I wish something that they would put something like that on Netflix. Yeah. Or on whatever streaming services. I I think it would actually be really beneficial. It would be cool to see. It is because it was, I have memories of the, like the version with the commentary. Yeah. And like certain scenes where they're describing how they were trying to make things work. Okay. Um, for the animation part of it, for the um, not for the animation part of it, because the commentary was in English, so it ha- probably had to oh. do with um, the things that people had to do to create the right kind of emotion to go with the scene. Because right. the difficulty with creating a dub version of something is that you're 
putting in the voices after the fact. And usually when you're doing an animation film in its original language, mm-hmm. you're getting an art concept of it. So you kind of see, oh, what your character would kind of look like. Yeah. But then they probably pattern the the way that the mouths move and the pacing and the timing depending on what is recorded. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and that's obviously going to be different from the English version. Yeah, in particular because it's different languages and because they're different cultures, there's a difference in like pacing. Yeah, absolutely. How you would express one thing in yeah. j- in Japanese is different how you would express it in English. Yeah, it could be that it takes more words to express it in one language or the other. It could be that the emphasis is on different words or different sections of the sentence. Um, all of that is like can be very different in different languages, right? Precisely. And I could see that um, because I always am watching movies and TV shows with the subtitles on. Yeah. There's one scene, actually, now that you're saying it, there's one scene that I feel like maybe that's it came across as like a little bit odd to me. And I'm thinking now maybe that's why, because there was a difference between the original version in Japanese and the dub version in English. Um, it kind of made me laugh, <laughs> but I'm thinking that could be why. There was just something that kind of perhaps got a little bit lost in translation there. Oh, most definitely. But that aside, within anime lovers, there's always this kind of battle between dubbed versus a subversion. Yeah. Um, but... Spirit Away has been well known to have a very, very good dub. And I I completely agree. Now, one thing I should probably mention to our 2.5 listeners is that, again, with the (laughs) 0.5, is that there are spoilers. I mean, do not listen to this if you don't want to know what happens in a film. Don't listen to our show. Go and watch it first and then come back and like listen to us. And then like argue on about it. Send us comments about how you think we're wrong. Probably mostly how you you think I'm wrong. (laughs) No, I think people will agree with us 100%. And if they don't, then don't tell them to stop listening. There's only 2.5 people. (laughs) I wasn't going to say stop listening. I mean, if we lose the point five, that's okay. But you want to lose my cat? That's right. We determined that was the cat. No, no, no. I don't no. want to lose a cat. No, I was, thinking, I was just say, um, just put it really nicely, like sugarcoat yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Because you know what? I don't take criticism very well at all. It just yeah. ruins my whole day. Well, at least we're in a better state today than we were the last time that we filmed. I feel great today. <laughs> You're not completely destroyed from um, drinking. Body recovered. It's literally taken a full week, but my body, which feels like it's 60 years old, has finally recovered. What I figured out that night, though... Just from our different experience. So we had a Zoom New Year's Eve sort of celebration mm-hmm. with us and our friends and a Secret Santa gift exchange. I know we were like very late for that, but someone, you know, couldn't deliver their gifts on time. I'm not pointing any fingers. No. At all. No. Mostly but, because that person isn't here. So we can't really. Well, actually, you, feel like I was also part I, I, you of mean, the You were delivery. slightly part of the problem. <laughs> But you know what? It was also the delivery. Like you had to get something delivered to you first and then that was delayed. And 
Just to mention, that's the sort of criticism that I like. You did point out that I was late, but then you backed it up with justification for why I was late. So if there's going to be criticism of my skills in this podcast, please make it like that. (laughs) So, well, one thing that I learned from our very, very uh, nice uh, Zoom New Year's Eve celebration is that you mentioned that you had tried making a pina colada. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. And it did not come out well. No. No, it it was disgusting. The thing is, I was remembering the pina coladas from Cuba, which mm-hmm. were delicious. And they had oh the cinnamon God. on top. And they were probably a lot of sugar in there. But they just tasted so good and creamy. The issue was, mine was, well, disgusting because it had no sugar. And then I tried adding maple syrup, which was probably a stupid decision. But I was like, I don't know what else to do to make it better. <laughs> Why? Why what was maple the reasoning syrup? behind maple syrup? I, it was liquid and it's sweet. And that's what I added. Were you too afraid to make simple syrup again? I was, well, part of it was that, yes. I was like, oh God, I'm going to turn on the stove again. And she's going to be like, you're splattering sugar on the stove. It's never going to be removed. Um, maybe I should have put in like brown sugar. Maybe that would have worked better. Yeah. Probably. I probably, but honestly, nothing was going to save it at this point because I got the wrong coconut cream. It was unsweetened. So it tastes, it doesn't taste bad by itself, but like it's not sugary at all. And in combination with the fact that the recipe called for some lime juice, this particular cocktail that I made tasted like sour coconut cream. Oh, it God. was nasty. <laughs> But then I had used my precious rum and I was like, oh, I can't waste. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't waste the rum. <laughs> so here's the other thing. The coconut cream, despite the fact that I went through the blender with all the other ingredients and the ice, it did not mix with the rest of the ingredients. So if you let it sit for like a minute, you would see the cream forming a layer at the top. And I guess the yeah, it congealed. At the t- it was disgusting, oh, like truly gross. <laughs> and the only thing that got me through drinking the other glasses was me thinking like, that's my rum. That's alcohol that I'm wasting if I don't drink this. And the whole time my mom is yelling like, take off that cream. It's so unhealthy for you. It's going to clog your arteries. If it's congealing at the top of the cup, imagine what it's going to do in your arteries. <laughs> I mean, she's not wrong. She's not wrong, but I was like, okay, but on the other hand, think of the rum. Why won't anyone think of the rum? (laughs) Well, I, as you know, I had a pack of the different flavored seltzers. I think that's what they're called. Mm -hmm. And one of those flavors was coconut lime I believe hmm. actually it yes it was coconut lime hey this makes yeah yes this makes sense so I could not finish it and the reason why I'm having it it was for it was clear um and it had no sugar added and I'm currently doing sure cure and it's one of the only things that I can drink while keeping them in, even though I shouldn't be drinking anything at all besides water. But it's what I could get away with on New Year's. It's New Year's. You yeah. gotta drink something. I could not finish it, and it tasted like sunscreen. Hmm. It, it tasted... It is bad when your chaser is worse than your shot. Yeah, that should never be the case. 
I I threw I threw away my precious alcohol, unfortunately that, but I had zero regrets about it. Because yeah. the idea of having to probably wake up to like that smell or that aftertaste or something, just the mere thought of it is like yeah, it's just like a visceral reaction. So I I think the lesson is that coconut is a tricky ingredient. It is. It really is. You got to get, it's got to be sweet enough. And it's combination with lime, I think is a little bit tricky. Maybe it's just because I didn't have the sweetened coconut cream. Maybe that's the issue. And other recipes called for like coconut milk and some condensed milk. And condensed milk is sweet. Like mm-hmm. it's quite sugary. So that might've worked too. Um, but what I did just did not work at all. And it took like sheer force of will to finish everybody else's drink. Well, like another lesson learned. I wonder if next week's will be something that doesn't involve alcohol. I doubt it. Doubtful. (laughs) Yeah, I really doubt it. It's locked down. What else do we have to do? Well, let's just get started. Yes. Let's get started. Yes, let's. I'm going to first go over a bit of the cast in this because what I find really interesting about voiceover work is that there are people that are very um, prominent in the field, but you just don't know it because you know when you watch a live action film who is in the film because you see their face. Yeah. and But in an animated film, you have a sense it's like, I've heard that voice before. We can't like really pinpoint where. So I thought mm-hmm. it would be fun to first go over who the cast is. Okay. Now, the person that did the voice for Shahiro or Sen is Devay Chase, and she is actually the voice of Lilo and Lilo and Stitch. No way. Yes, she is. And that was one of the reasons why I was really attracted to the film to begin with as a child, because I was already into the Lilo and Stitch. Ah, uh, okay. So, yeah. Her voice. That's so funny. I didn't know that. And on top of that, she is also the creepy ring girl. Oh. That was live action, but she's like the one in in the tape. I've all mind you, I've never watched the ring. Okay, yeah. that's a lie. I've only watched the first five minutes of the ring and then I chickened out because I don't watch scary movies. Add it to the list. But that was that was on the things that she was a part of. So she has a very diverse resume. Shit. She does. Now Jason Marsden plays Haku or the White Dragon, mm-hmm. River Spirit, and he's been on a couple of things. You probably remember seeing him in some episodes of Full House, Boy Meets World. He also plays the character of Mongo in Tarzan, but hmm. most prominently, he does the voice of Max Goof in a Goofy movie. <laughs> And I am telling you, I love this movie. I had the VHS. Oh my. <laughs> my brother and I would watch it over and over again. Did you break out the VHS after you watched this movie again? <laughs> okay, I'm not even kidding you. I actually have a VHS player still. And Amazing. I don't know why we had it. It's just sitting in the living room and because we have, you know, the TV stands and it has all those little compartments or shelves. And there's yeah. just a VHS player there. I love particularly that you still have a VHS player, but you don't have anything to play a DVD on. I think that's so rich. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I just, you know what? I'm 
not sure if I still have VHSs. They might be somewhere in the basement. But I, I got to look back and confirm. But I had the VHS of a Goofy movie. I think that's why I also like the film as well is because I had watched a Goofy movie so much. And I recognize his voice. It's funny. Once you figure out where that person is from, like where you've heard that voice before, and you can start to connect it and you realize like it's it's that sort of like familiar, comfortable feeling, right? When you can recognize that voice and you know, oh yeah, it's tied up to that movie too, which I also really liked. Yeah. And the sense of comfort that it brings a child, because this is something that this is something that I'm realizing years afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I, the, except for Lilo, like the connection between Lilo and Stitch and Spirited Away. um, I probably realized that like a, a little bit afterwards, but it brought me a sense of comfort that I did not realize. And yeah. it it is something that made me want to watch the film. Like, oh, this sounds familiar. Like, let me keep on watching and listening to it. Yeah. And um, I didn't decide to watch this film on my own. It was actually my cousins. So my older cousins are about 15 years older than me, 20 years older than me. Yeah, I know they're old. <laughs> you're, li- you're listening <laughs> too old now you're very old but it's something that we watched together and the fact that I enjoyed it as a child and the fact that they enjoyed it as adults and it's something that I was able to grow up with and still find new things to love about it and it hasn't yeah. lost its magic to me is it's just such a testament to Miyazaki's storytelling and his filmmaking yeah and uh, the one of the ways that anime or Japanese animation differs from more Western animations or like our cartoons here mm-hmm. is that it has this way of being able to grow with its audience or yeah. that it doesn't, there's not this clear divide between this is for children and this is for adults. Yeah. And I think based on the time that it was made to... Um, really ahead of the curve in that. I think Pixar has like tried to the, to improve on that and try to make films that are like still entertaining for kids, but also have a lot of emotional significance to adults as well. But I think this movie was probably way ahead of its time in terms of doing that, right? And creating a strong emotional connection regardless of the age of the viewer. One of the people that the directors for Pixar was inspired by Spirited Away. Yeah. So you can see the influence of that. But also for Miyazaki, this is one of the films that was aimed towards children. Yes. Yeah. I did. I was doing a little bit of research on it. And I realized that when he had made it, he was inspired by um, one of his friend's daughters who's 10 years old and used to stay with him over the course of like the summers. Um, and so he wanted to make the film specifically for 10 year old girls. And like, that's, you know, that sort of age, that's like an interesting dynamic. You're kind of growing into your own and like learning more about yourself and your own identity. And I think that's really nice that he, that was the inspiration for his film and who he really wanted to target. Yeah, definitely. A lot of his earlier works, um, are still very female centric. So mm-hmm. we have like Princess Mononoke, we have Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind, um, but they're a bit bloodier. And okay. um, so it's something that 
might not translate well for the PG audience right. in the United States in Canada because they also have a different a different censorship. Yeah. But this has kind of hit that like sweet spot. Mm-hmm. That's probably why Spirited Away won the Academy Award in three, yeah. which is the only Japanese film to ever win an Academy Award in animation. Oh wow. Which I, I find baffling. Yeah. I'm surprised by that, too, considering there's so many good ones out there, right? Yes, definitely. So, like, moving on with the list, Yubaba and Zuniba is played by Susan Plachette. I'm I'm probably butchering that. Who's uh, actually passed away. And two, uh, two of the voice actors have passed away at this point. Oh, wow. From, um, from this film. So, it's great that you can still enjoy their work Um Next is Bo, so that is the giant baby, (laughs) the giant baby Bo, and he is played by Tara Strong, who has played Bubbles in the Powerpuff Girls, Dylan Rugrats, Timmy Turner in the Fairly Odd Parents, Raven in Teen Titans, and uh, Kaya in Princess Mononoke. So, wow. she, and that is just kind of like the ones that I recognized from that list. Yeah. But she has a very, very, very long filmography. Yeah. Wow. So a lot of these people come up um, pretty frequently. Like they do a lot of voice work, clearly. Uh, yeah. You'll find that you'll see a lot of Canadians actually in the voice, in dubbing work. Mm-hmm. Because I believe one of the major dubbing studios is set up in vancouver oh okay so you'll see like there's quite a bit of canadians involved when it comes to dubbing that's pretty cool Mm -hmm. and next up is kamaji played by david ogden styers he was in mash he was in pocahontas lilo and stitch as well (laughs) and the hunchback of notre dame and finally we have susan egan that plays Lynn, and she was in Porco Rosso, which is another Miyazaki film. And she plays Meg in Hercules. Okay, I feel like this is a really weird aside, but I feel like I recognized her voice when I heard her. Exactly, because Meg does have a very distinct yeah. voice. Yeah. Another little tip at the end is that this film was completely hand-drawn. I mean, it did have some sort of help from computer programs, mm-hmm. but um, it's pretty much completely hand-drawn, and it's kind of an artwork that's been very much lost. Yeah. Um, and Miyazaki has definitely kept it up. Uh, he, that's really impressive. Yes, and he's extremely involved in every aspect of his films. Mm-hmm. So he approves every major piece of artwork, and this is when it's all hand-drawn. He's oh the one gosh. that approves it. He is part of every voice recording session for the original yeah. uh, voice cast, and also for every recording session for the music in each film that goes into. Okay, yeah. And this is kind of what brought about the rumor that he was going to retire after Spirited Away. Oh, because it was so much work for him? Yes, because he's he's gotten even at that point he was older, and it's some that it's kind of like a work that he wouldn't be able to keep up, right? And a big issue that he had was that he couldn't delegate a lot of work in this film. Mm-hmm. 
probably because of some of the things that we'll mention um, when we're discussing the film. But mostly what he was referring to is just the level of involvement that he usually has with his films up to that point. He wouldn't be able to keep up with and right. he was just going to delegate more things. But I I remember really, really liking Spirit Away and wanting to watch more Miyazaki and then being terrified because <laughs> that, that was it. <laughs> like there's there's just gonna be no more. And then I found out there was obviously this long catalog of like movies. Yeah. I think after that I went on to watch A Castle in the Sky, um, Kiki's Delivery Service. These are all things that have DVD support that I can't play. <laughs> that you can't watch because <laughs> you don't have a DVD player. Where would you say, out of curiosity, where is Spirited Away in terms of like his body of work? Is it like halfway through? But mm-hmm. let me like double check. Oh, actually, it's a little bit more like halfway. So it turns out it's actually a little bit more halfway because Howl's movie and Castle came out after and then Ponyo, Arietti from Up on Poppy Hill, The Wind Rises. And there's actually one that's to be announced. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. But it's, it, I believe... From what I remember hearing about him, it's just one of those ones that are just going to be less action-packed. Yeah. Later works because the more action-packed film seems to be like his earlier works. Right. They involve a lot more work. Yeah, I can imagine, right? There's so much more to do for it. And now is a good time to start going through the film. The plot of the film, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I will say, (laughs) um, like my first time watching, there is a lot going on. (laughs) It's, <laughs> I, um, and I don't want to say I struggled to keep up, but there's like a lot, a lot of stuff that hits you. <laughs> it, it is. And it's part of the reason why I made you want to kind of start off with this film kind of meant, like kind of aimed at children. It's <laughs> <laughs> like you didn't think I could do anything past. <laughs> well, because you're going to run into a lot weirder stuff. Yeah. Because th- this, I'll end a lot of Miyazaki's works, but this one in particular is like a very, it's a very s- spiritual film. Yeah. Um, and it is based, very much based in Japanese culture. Yeah. And um, I believe a religion called Shinto. Okay. So yeah. You see a lot of this immediately. And I'm talking about immediately when Shihiro is there in the car and she's carrying those flowers with a little note card from her friends because she's moving to this new town and she is not happy about it. Right. And her parents go off on this cobble road and there's these little stone houses and they're covered in vines and other greenery and you see these little statues. Mm-hmm. So those little stone houses traditionally are meant to house kami which are gods okay and they are very much a foreshadowing of what is to come right like immediately you're you're thinking oh there are these little stone houses she says it right out loud what are these little stone houses and then those statues um those kind of there's like an oval shaped one almost the dad parts the car right in front of it that particular stone statue is meant to protect children or it's aimed at protecting children. Okay. And 
also those statues usually are also meant to protect travelers and in a way Shihiro is she's going about to travel into a different dimension yeah and that tunnel that they go through that's almost kind of like the waiting area for a train station yeah those are our gates and you'll see kind of like these uh panels that kind of have a pointed top mm-hmm. like there's like two panels and then they kind of connect at the top and kind of like looks like that line of a house sort of. Yeah. And those are all gates. And that's usually represents when you're passing into a spirit world. Okay. So right from the beginning. And I mean, it seems like in the movie, she picks up on, she's got a sense that something is going on here. Her parents are like completely oblivious (laughs) and Ooh, look, a tunnel. Let's walk through. (laughs) Yes, this creepy abandoned tunnel. And you know what? It's something that I would do as an adult. But there is kind of always this trend of of children sensing something that we as adults cannot or or lose when we make that transition into adulthood. Yeah, exactly. But she clearly is picking up on something going on that her parents don't seem to care and really (laughs) just want her to hurry up. And they're, they um, enter the tunnel and they come out and they realize that this is an abandoned theme park. Specifically, I think they were mentioning ones that was like built in like the early the 90s. During a boom and then was later abandoned. Mm-hmm. All these little things are very direct commentaries from like Miyazaki. A lot of his films kind of focus on consumerism. There's like right. a big environmental aspect. Yep. Yeah, I was reading about that a lot of it. There's a political undertone to a lot of his work. Yeah, and that's something that, oh, you you probably don't think or care too much about as like a child, but it's something definitely you start picking up as an adult, and especially after you start watching his other works. So like I was saying, Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind is very, very focused on uh, the impact that humans have had on the environment. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, so you can you can see like similar threads running through a lot of his films. Yeah, and I think they even like I'll, I'll probably like look at it once we get to that part of the film. But someone even calls it out directly. It's like, oh, humans ruin everything, or something. Oh, like wow. This. Someone someone mentions this, mm-hmm. and, but we would they they got to what they think is an abandoned amusement park and then his sorry shihiro's father smells food i love this scene i i related to this scene so much (laughs) (laughs) he's walking around and he's using only his nose to guide him and we come across this um pathway with like abandoned restaurants on both sides and again shihiro's like this seems kind of weird and the parents don't think it's weird at all. There's smell coming from somewhere and they're like determined to eat at this point. <laughs> and the father uses his nose to find this restaurant where food is actually cooking. Can't find anybody who's actually cooking the food. It looks completely deserted, but it smells delicious. So they decide to sit down and eat. <laughs> and I will, I, so I've had this situation before. So I believe one time I was walking um along one of the like beaches downtown I can't remember when or where it was and I was hungry but I was telling the people that I was with I smell funnel cakes 
and I <laughs> and I, I swear, and I literally started following my nose. No one believed me until we we got to um, a fair, some sort of what. Remember one of those pop up fairs that are like oh, usually yeah. for kids and stuff like that. And boy, I proved them wrong. Yeah, there turns around. Did you see? I told you so. <laughs> now I'm sure when that happened to you, um, you didn't end up becoming a literal pig. I mean, some people would call me that, <laughs> but just but not not literally, not literally. So the parents sit down, and Shahiro doesn't want to eat because she still thinks this is bizarre. Uh, and very strange environment. There's food that's cooking, but there's literally no one anywhere on the path. And the parents have helped themselves to like four plates of food, which I thought was fantastic. And their reasoning was, we'll just pay the bill when the person comes back, when the cook or the chef or the hostess comes over, we'll pay the bill for whatever we ate. <laughs> and like, what if this was for someone's wedding? Like taking out like the spiritual the spirits that are going to come. Yeah. What if this was someone's wedding and you just like started eating the entire buffet? I mean, are you just going to pay them then? Yeah, I guess. I mean, clearly there's some additional, more significant commentary beneath this about like the trouble with excess greed and consumerism and, you know, everything beyond moderation. Uh, but honestly, in that scene where he's following his nose and they're taking down food and like, honestly, the food kind of looked good, even in the animated movie. <laughs> and when the mom's saying it's so tender, I was like, damn, I kind of want some of that. It looks really good. And I have to admit, there is this way that food is drawn in anime. I'm like, sometimes it just looks better than real life food. Yeah. When I was in Asia and I would see the plastic version of the foods that they display to show what they're serving there oh yeah I would be like this looks so good I'm like <laughs> I really want I really want this plastic meal <laughs> like, don't give me the actual food can I have the plastic uh, one <laughs> yeah going back to that scene that you see where they're walking down that path with all the restaurants mm -hmm. and I remember telling you about this before but when I was in Taiwan um, I went to a place called Jufen and the similarities between what you saw in the film animated and Jufen is very striking. Um, now Miyazaki's come out and said it, he was pretty much inspired by um, Japanese architecture and a different part of Japan. But part of the reason why there was probably similarities between these structures is because of the Japanese colonial era in Taiwan. Oh, and okay. that was that's very prominent in in Jufen, and I'm going to share my screen right now for you to be able to just see the similarities. That would make sense, like the the influence on architecture and everything else, right? I could already tell it looks like yeah. it. Why won't Google Images make the images big? Yeah, I don't know why it doesn't do that anymore. It used to do that, right? Or am I just like I'm pretty positive it? it used to. Look at this, and yeah. I've seen all, like, I was there. It was raining that day, though. It was the only sucky part. I had to buy one of those ponchos, like oh, the full-on tourist ponchos. I had that. Like the ones that people wear in Disney World. And mind you, I already had enough trouble with my hair in Taiwan because it was <laughs> humid. Literally, the entire time, you felt moist. Oh, 
the entire time. It was a very weird weather. So it was actually, though, probably my favorite place to go to when I went to Asia. Yeah. It was not the place that I thought it would be my favorite, but I loved it so much. Um, I mostly stayed in Taipei, but I went from Taipei to Jufan uh, using the metro and then the bus. Mm-hmm. And this is, I believe, the tea house. This is a tea house, a Japanese tea house, where I was able to drink uh, traditional Japanese tea, which I, they kind of just, I ordered the tea, but then they just kind of left and I had no idea how to make it. <laughs> I just sat there not knowing how to make this tea, but this very nice Japanese couple was sitting like, to ta- a table away and they were showing me how to do it. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. And it was, it was like really nice and sweet. And they asked to take a picture with me. Which was, I don't know, I'm in some random Japanese couples picture, but it was really nice because they were teaching me the process how to do, which I can't remember anymore, probably put a year ago. But um, it it was like a really fantastic experience to be able to sit down in that Japanese tea house and look out at the landscape. And it's beautiful. it, it, It was gorgeous. And these are the streets. Which, I mean, if you look at that, that... It reminds me of that movie scene. Yeah. So you can see where this rumor kind of started that um, Jufan was a place that inspired Miyazaki. I can definitely see that. Yeah. The but re- it, resemblance is, is there for sure. And they definitely play into that. So they use it as like a means of attracting tourists to Jufan. Oh, and you okay. go And you go there and there's all these spirited away figurines and Miyazaki film stuff. So they're definitely yeah. playing into that rumor. Well, I mean, hey, they should. It was a very popular film. So to go back to the film, Shigeru's parents get turned into pigs. How did that make you feel? Um, I felt a little bit bad uh, because I would have done exactly what the parents had done. <laughs> <laughs> so I... <laughs> It's it's interesting watching the animation, and I feel like this came up a lot for me through the film. There's a lot of parts that I don't I wouldn't say were scary. They were just kind of like even the animation of the pigs was kind of gross. It, I I understand like, what you mean, and I definitely think it was extremely intentional. Yeah, because you're supposed to feel disgusted by this gluttonous behavior exactly and it comes up throughout the film that I got that sense that like I don't think as a child this would have scared me um but I just I felt like kind of disgusted and gross seeing some of the images that were coming up it was more of that than anything else and I think you're right again like it's supposed to kind of disgust you sorry that sort of excessive behavior and the gluttony and overabundance of greed and everything else yeah and it seems like Shahiro's genuinely scared about this and she kind of goes off running because her parents just got turned into pigs and as she's running around the town starts getting dark and the lanterns start turning on and these translucent figures that still somehow maybe were clothes, but not really mm-hmm. start appearing and walking around. And she ends up in front of 
this bathhouse and um, what is connecting. There's a bridge that connects her to this bathhouse. And on that bridge, she meets Haku. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that we meet, I guess you can say, our male protagonist of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. And he immediately recognizes that she's human and immediately helps her. And that's something that we don't understand as to why until later on in the film. Right. But um, he, he helps her and he takes her off to, I I believe a kind of like a a ridge or something somewhere by the water and hands her food. Mm -hmm. And tells her that, she needs to eat otherwise she's going to disappear because she's already noticing that she's become kind of like transparent or translucent i can't remember which word is the right one yes well well yeah she's um she's starting to fade like her physical through, basically. Basically. yeah and you and this you first notice this when she's kind of like running around and she tries to cross this what was a small river at the uh, at the museum park and it was just mostly filled with stones it's not really flowing and it ended up becoming this giant lake yeah. that even contains a ferry that is carrying over i don't know like a hundred or so spirits yeah and um she dips her feet into the water and that's when you slowly start realizing that she's fading and after consuming this food she, I, I guess, becomes, I don't know, physical again. I don't know. <laughs> what would be the word for this? She becomes non-transparent. <laughs> yes. Okay. She's She, she, she loses fade her off into nothingness. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so she won't fade off into nothingness. So uh, Haku places a spell on Chihiro so that no one else can see her, but they can smell her. Because yes. humans stink, apparently. Again, that theme of like stink and like grossness comes up again. So she's not supposed to take a breath while she's crossing the bridge, but then she gets scared by something and mm-hmm. inhales. And she gasps. Yes. And people can see her. Not be, The spirits can see her. And uh, Haku kind of, kind of run, runs off somewhere and hides her. These rules are very important within the world of like spirited away. Everyone, no matter who they are, has to abide by these rules. And you'll see that there, uh, you a lot of characters mention, oh, we have to do this because these are the rules. Or that there's yes. kind of like these a set of guidelines that they have to follow, even though you're not exactly sure where they come from. But mm-hmm. they seem to apply to everyone. To be honest, I feel like that kind of fits. I mean, it's a Japanese movie and I feel like that kind of fits with what I know of like Japanese culture and very like rule oriented and everyone's got a specific spot, like place and very like obedient, I would say overall. Is this huge emphasis on uh, in Japanese culture with when it comes to manners, when it comes to respecting your elders. You start seeing Shihiro kind of grow into this during her transition out of childhood in this film because from the very beginning, she's not exactly the most grateful. No. No. So she constantly has to be reminded to thank people that helped um, hide her, especially in like the very beginning. She's constantly whining and complaining and not really listening to the rules. Yeah. Uh, this is something that definitely changes throughout the film. And 
Haku tells Shihiro and the instructions that he gives her is that the only way that she's going to survive in this world and help her parents is she has to get a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which <laughs> I'm like, okay, mom. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> Yes, so she has to go down to the boiler room and talk to Kamaji, right. which actually means boiler, boiler man or boiler. yeah, boiler room man. Yeah, boiler greaser. You you kind of like hear that a lot. A lot of these names are very specific and mm-hmm. for a reason. Names are extremely important in this film, but in, in a way that you and I will never be able to understand because we can't understand the characters. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Japanese characters that make up their names and how um, it's, it's like difficult yeah. to, without visually. Well, even with Shihiro's name, right? Yeah. Like if you break it down into the characters that make up the name, mm-hmm. there's like, yeah, there, there's a lot of meaning there Yeah, that I won't be able to fully appreciate because I don't know, I, like I don't understand the characters, right? Um. And it's only when I read about it afterwards that I realized like how kind of in-depth they really went with it. Yeah. And like, this is always going to be an issue when you're watching a foreign film. It's just not being able to like fully grasp the meaning of it just because you're not a part of that culture. Yeah. Um, but I can definitely try. Yeah. Try my yeah. best here. So Boiler Room Man helps Shihiro out. Mm-hmm. Puts up a bit of a fight, but so does she. Yes. She's insistent. And that like that was really important for her. Like and it's something that kind of like carried on. Even mm-hmm. when she finally makes it up to Yubaba and asks for a job, she has to remember to just be persistent and constantly yeah. ask for the job. Because it turns out Yubaba has to give whoever asks for a job a job. And it's one of those rules again that she has to abide by for she must have made some sort of deal at some point mm-hmm. um, that uh, tied her to this. Right. Uh, the person that helps get her up there is Lynn. So that's when we met Lynn the first time in the boiler room. And she's the one that helps Shihiro get up to the floor where Yubaba is mm-hmm. and, and where um, the big baby is. <laughs> yes. The, that I'm, I'm so sure that he kicked her in the face. Yeah. Yes. He broke he yeah. breaks the door and kicks her in the face. Which can I say reminds me of like my cat. Like sometimes <laughs> she'll like kick me in the face with her like a little paw. Which I'm <laughs> fine with actually. It shows her it shows that she loves me. Sure, sure. I'm sure that's what you Baba thought as well. The baby loves me. He oh, kicked yeah. me because he loves me. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so uh, Shihiro makes a deal with Yubaba, mm-hmm. and in exchange for a job, she gives up her name. So now she's going by Sen. Yes, and it's really, once again, what we were talking about before is the characters in her name were s- stripped away to create the name Sen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wish I understood what all those characters meant, but I don't. But yeah. It, it was a very interesting tidbit, but thankfully, Shihiro still has like a little note card that has her name on it, and it's really essential for her to remember her name is Shihiro. She won't get out of there unless she remembers who she was. Mm-hmm. So, and this is something that Haku tells her the next day when he takes her to 
see her parents in a pig pen. Her pigs. <laughs> who look identical to all the other pigs that are in the pen. <laughs> he knows who they are for some reason. I, hmm. I don't know how he knows that it's them. Because they, once again, they look identical to all the other pigs. Yeah, questionable. I'm not sure. Maybe they just look like fresh, a fresh breed of pigs that entered yeah. the pen. Yeah. Or there, I, I believe he says at a point, she asks if they're okay. And he's like, oh no, they're fine. They're just passed over from eating too much. <laughs> I'm like, that's all accurate. Been there. Yeah. You know, it doesn't sound that bad, actually. <laughs> look like they're living a good life. Except eventually they're going to cut up and be turned into bacon, which also, you know, for a good cause. <laughs> but <laughs> so. Shihira starts working away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah. she's got this like quiet determination about her, which I really like throughout this movie. Yeah. that, um, And one of the things that I really, really loved about the animation is the way that they were able to make the movements, what a child's movement would be like, if that makes sense. It's just mm -hmm. the way that she's falling or the way that she tries to clean the floor or when they start, they get taken to this giant bathtub in the bathhouse which yeah. they're forced to clean and the way that she just kind of tries to climb up on it and she works the way that a child would work yeah yeah I I was really impressed too like again because this would be my first anime movie I was really impressed watching the animation and like it was very believable I have to say and like some scenes in particular like I could feel it as though it was happening to myself, which I yeah. thought was pretty impressive considering that it's not, it's animation. Right? Yeah. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that it's hand-drawn. Um, yeah. There, there is probably a, a maybe something in movements in hand-drawn films that you can't really do when it's all computer-generated. Yeah. Or I, I, I don't know, maybe there is, but... Um, or maybe that's just Miyazaki that he was, like I said, very involved in the filmmaking process and he probably wanted to make her movements out of a child. Yeah. Whatever it is, it's working for the film. Yes. And it's, once again, beautifully done. And mm -hmm. as they're cleaning this giant bathtub, there's another smell and it's not Shihiro. No. <laughs> it's a worse smell than her. <laughs> Yes, the stink spirit comes. <laughs> yes, what they think is a stink spirit. Yes, what they think is a stink spirit, and it's liter literally oozing. Yeah, it's he. He drops money in their hand for using the bathhouse, and it's just like covered in this disgusting, sludgy, grimy nastiness. <laughs> I I remember feeling disgusted as a child. Yeah, too. Just seeing kind of this goop every time it would take a step just kind of like seep out and there's like a sludge trail that's left behind mm -hmm. even after he passes through a room it's like this oily trail on the floor it's absolutely disgusting I'm still getting the creeps thinking about it and how long is that going to take to clean up like we never see anyone clean that up in the end no but I mean it's profitable in the end <laughs> Yes, it is, because 
Oh, and I kind of completely forgot about this, even though it's a very important part of the film, is that um, as Shihiro's starting to clean up around the bathhouse, she lets in who she believes to be a customer, but it's actually No Face. Mm -hmm. That is the character's name, No Face, and lets him into the bathhouse. And he starts kind of helping her out through um, when he sees her. So Mm -hmm. he kind of takes a bath token, which has... I guess the bath water that they send down to Kamaji yeah. and like they send the water up. So, he so this one is for an herbal for soak. Yes, it's for an herbal soak and they send it down to Kamaji and this is what they use to clean the giant bathtub. And eventually because No Face gave her so many, it's mm-hmm. what they eventually use to clean the stink spirit, which we find out is not the stink spirit no. after his bath. No, he is a river spirit. He was just a polluted river spirit. And here's one of the places that, like, it took me a second to kind of put it all together. But, like, she notices, she thinks there's, like, a thorn in his side, right? And she's Mm -hmm. pulling it out. She realizes it's a bicycle. And when that's dislodged, all of the other stuff that's polluted, the river spirit Mm -hmm. comes out. When I thought about it afterwards, I'm thinking, like, all of the junk that you see laying on the floor is all of the stuff that, like you would probably find in a river that's been polluted by humans, right? Abandoned old bicycle tires, trash that people throw into the water because they figure, oh, that's an easy place to get rid of garbage. And as you were saying before, how the director often likes to like have environmentalism as a kind of a common thread running through his films, I could definitely see that in this part of the movie here. Yeah, and, and that scene in particular was inspired by him seeing I believe them trying to clean up a polluted river and all the things that kind of came out like came out of it and what I absolutely loved about this scene and it's something that I did not once again it's something that I did not realize until watching it this time and that I love that I can still find new things about it each time I watch it is that the river spirit takes the form of almost a dragon and if you can see Haku turns into a dragon and he turns out to be a river river spirit spirit. as as well yeah and so already you can start seeing like these little tidbits of what Haku's true identity is right little clues that have been left behind already Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point I never noticed that but uh the river spirit ends up going off very happy and leaves behind a whole bunch of gold. Mm-hmm. Which in turn makes you Baba very happy. Yes, she loves her gold. And so one of the things too about No Face mm-hmm. is that he seems to take on the characteristics of whoever's around him. Literally in some sense by at one point consuming those around him. Mm-hmm. But also it seems like Shihiro's actions of kindness, like letting him in, and it prompts him to be kind to her back and like help her out with the bath tokens. Yeah. And at this point, when the river spirit leaves, No Face notes that everyone loves the gold. Yeah. And he just starts taking on those character, like those greedy characteristics. He starts to attract people with the gold. And then as they come closer, he like consumes a few of them in the process. And the more people that he consumes, it seems the greedier he becomes and kind of taking on the qualities of the people that he's consumed. They were greedy people. 
who are after the gold. And so in turn, he's become even greedier and is after more food and more riches and more excess. Yeah. And at one point, it almost seems like he tries to buy Shihiro's like affection or attention Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because he tries to lure her to him with the promise of this gold. And he shows her all this gold and it's for you. And she's like, but I don't want it. Yeah, exactly. Because at this point, she's already on another mission as well. She's trying to um, save Haku. Yes. So she's trying to save Haku because he's been injured because he tried to steal a golden seal from Yubaba's twin sister, Zaniba. Mm-hmm. And he comes back being attacked from paper birds, I believe they're. They kind of look like paper like, planes. Yeah. Yes. So, and so he has, you know what? A massive amount of paper cuts. And I understand that. Like, paper cuts hurt. This was the one scene that I thought as a child would probably have scared me. Because he's bleeding. Yeah, and they show the dripping blood. Um, yeah. Which is something that you don't normally see in, in child films. But Exactly. Don't worry, Miyazaki finds a way to put it in there. <laughs> Still PG. But that's not... The paper cuts are not, like the reason why he's dying it's yeah. because a curse has been put on the seal that whoever steals it uh dies yeah so we think i mean at this point i was thinking well maybe yubaba's twin sister is even more evil than her and that's one of the interesting things about this film it's like a lot of films aimed at children it's very clear cut who is bad and who isn't yeah but everything is gray in this film that's actually one of the things that I really like about this movie. There's no, even Yubaba isn't like all bad. There's no character in here that's all evil. No face clearly did some bad things and eating some of the people in the bathhouse. He threw them up eventually. He did, but he also clearly is in some ways, he's probably a very lonely spirit, but he tried to help Shahiro. Um, getting the bath tokens, and even afterwards, he joins her on the journey to go find Zaniba. So he's not, again, he's not a villain in the movie. He's not all good either. It's somewhere in between that gray area. You find qualities that you like and that you don't like in every single one of the characters. Mm -hmm. Like even Lynn, she's still as greedy as everyone else. Like the reason why she ends up helping out Shahira, and I'm sure she, on some level, she just wanted to, but it wasn't until she's offered some sort of grilled newt, (laughs) some, some, there is something that she could eat or a Haku. He helps out Shahira, but he has a reputation. Yeah. Of not being the greatest person and being basically Yubaba's lackey and doing bad things for her. Yeah, and Shihiro is not the most likable character in the beginning. No. And you would think that, oh, Yubaba is like the bad one, but then you find out, oh, uh, Zaniba is apparently nicer in a way, but she's not exactly 100% good. No. So there's a good mix. He doesn't make one character all bad, and I think the best... Um, the best character development and the best plot lines come when you have characters who are a little bit of a mix of both and who are imperfect. Yeah, because I we're all imperfect and it's yeah. nice to see the good parts that we probably like about ourselves in these characters, but also the parts that we don't like about ourselves. Yeah. And the fact that they're still heroes at some point, Haku is still 
uh, a hero of sorts. So is Shihiro. Yeah. And even Bo, we find out, uh, (laughs) has his heroic moments. Exactly. But yeah, in order to um, in order to save uh, Haku, Shihiro gives a bit of this medicine that the river spirit had given to her, and he she doesn't use all of it as we find out. Like she later uses it on No Face, that makes that is what prompts him throwing up mm-hmm. everyone he consumed. Yeah, which is what three or four people. <laughs> yes, three people he throws up, and then in the river he throws up the frog, oh, and he just right. w- yes. swims away. <laughs> and uh I hear Mikey. <laughs> Wait, what's it? I think she's okay. She's not crying. She's just meowing. She's begging. <laughs> Trying to get my brother's attention, it seems. Sorry, what was I sorry, what was I saying? We're talking about the medicine that she uses part of it for Haku and then part of it for no face. The scene where she's trying to give medicine to Haku is modeled after someone trying to give a dog medicine. Oh, yeah. yeah. And what I was mentioning before about one of the issues that Miyazaki ran into when creating this film was he wasn't able to designate tasks to other people. It was because of the lack of life experience that a lot of his staff had. So Ooh. when he was describing the scene to his staff, and their younger staff, they they didn't understand what he meant because a lot of them hadn't ever had a dog. So they actually took a field trip to a veterinarian's office (laughs) and they showed them what it's kind of like to kind of have to like open up the jaw, the jaw of a dog and and you must know and trying to stuff medicine in their mouth. Watching that scene, I was like, oh yeah, no, this looks very familiar. (laughs) It's exactly how you do it and then close the snout and hold on until they swallow. (laughs) Probably why Miyazaki couldn't designate a lot of these concepts to some of his staff is who knows if some of his staff had traveled and been able to see some of the places that he has and that inspired this film or even had knowledge of the Shinto religion. And there's also the fact that this film actually came up with no script. So Miyazaki- I heard that and I was shocked. But that's all his films. He starts making these films without- a full-on script he's he's just like it comes out whatever it comes out to be yeah exactly he's basically he just follows whatever is in the characters that has to come out and and I was really really surprised to read that actually considering how much work also goes into an animation which I would say is considerably more than a movie where you have actors like in person acting out the scenes I was shocked that he didn't at least have the script down and ready to go right like (laughs) it's it's almost like everything is just being created on the spot as you go um, which is pretty amazing yeah and you know not saying that I'm like Miyazaki or anything but that's exactly how I write my papers I have no (laughs) idea what I'm actually gonna write down before I do it (laughs) here's so most of my undergrad and my master's was me being like Miyazaki. Yeah. Just following your intuition. Yeah. Maybe we all have to be a little bit more like Miyazaki. Yeah. Just just go where the river spirit takes you. Exactly. If it takes you into a pile of sludge, then so be it. And speaking of sludge, one of the things that Haku regurgitates is the golden seal, but also this sludge-like 
creature. Yeah. That Shihiro squishes. Mm-hmm. It gets all over her foot. It's gross, but it's also one of those moments I was speaking about where she becomes very much, so these movements are so childlike, childlike yeah. go, and she's like stomping all over the floor trying to reach it. It was very relatable. Yes, I think especially for you. Actually, no. Shiro's braver than you. You would just Wait. hide in a corner. Yeah, no, no. I wouldn't have done what she did, but like, I can understand, I suppose. We find out that that is not part of Zaniba's spell, but that's actually part of Yubaba's spell mm-hmm. that she used to keep Haku controlled. Exactly. Shahiro just broke that spell. Yes. Good for but her. She doesn't know that at this point. No. So she sets off to save Haku and go and visit Zaniba and ask for forgiveness in his name. There's a scene in between here that I just wanted to comment mm-hmm. on because I thought it was really interesting. Um, I think the musical score throughout this movie is really beautiful. And to be honest, I'm still thinking about the score in my head now. And As I you're find thinking it, about the scenes? Yeah, I find it very rare that um, scores that like, there's no words to it. It's only the instrumentals. They usually don't sit in my head this way, but it, this one has. Um, but there's the scene when they're on the train going to Zaniba's. And there's something about, it's a very quiet scene. You just have like the the piano playing in the background and she's there with no face Um, and the baby who's now that tiny. (laughs) Oh yes, because Zaniba turns Bo into a mouse and the bird into what, I think it's supposed to be a tiny bird, but it seems to be a fly. It sounds like a fly. It, It sounds like a fly, but he manages to carry this very chubby chunky chunky. chonker of a mouse sorry we have to insert that word (laughs) yes this chonker of a mouse um manages to carry him from point a to point b yes Yes. what i really liked about this scene though is it's a very quiet scene but with the music and like the expressions again the animation is so well done and the expressions on their faces and it's that confusing moment, they're going off to another place to Swamp Bottom. They don't know what they're going to encounter. There's that kind of like fear of the unknown. They're on this train with other spirits who are transparent. Like they don't, it's that fear of the unknown in this in-between world. And he captures it so well, like the emotion in that scene. Um, And he was saying something about his filmmaking he likes to insert those quiet moments within his films as a break from all of the action but he said and I kind of want to find the quote because it was good he calls it ma and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right but he says let me see if I can find it I can see your writing I haven't seen your writing in forever Ma or emptiness. So the scenes where nothing really happens. And he said, what really matters is the underlying emotions. And those are the things that you never let go of. And like that, that's one of those scenes that'll probably stick with me for a while. And there's no real action that's going on there, but it's something about the way that it's set up and the visuals of it, which are really stunning and the music behind it and just the expression on the characters' faces that really adds to the emotion of that scene. Yeah. And actually that scene in particular, when I was in Jufen and I was grabbing souvenirs and I grabbed some for my cousins because they're fans of the film, obviously they're the ones that introduced me to it. And there's these posters that I was able to pick from and that scene was one of them. And I picked them up for one of my cousins because it really just kind of does sit with you and just 
so everything from the film can kind of settle, but you can also take a moment to kind of just admire, admire the animation instead of just trying to keep up with the plot, right? The movements, but it's part of the reason why for a very long time, I would download scores from like a lot of anime and sit down in a park and just, or walk through a park and listen to it. And I did this a lot when I was younger. Do you remember that park that was by our high school? It used yeah. to be like a trail I could go there. And I used to walk there listening to my music. Yeah. <laughs> so that's great to know that that moment also sits with you the way that it's Miyazaki meant it to. Yeah. But also for myself, which is someone that's watched a lot more anime or or has watched a lot more of Miyazaki's films but this is like yeah. your first watching watching this is your first anime film and it hit the way that Miyazaki intended it to yeah yeah I feel like that's probably one of the scenes from the movie that like will stick with me the most surprisingly it kind of just makes me want to sit on a train a random train in Japan yeah when I was in Jufen and I was traveling to Jufen I told you I got there via bus and it's those quiet moments where you're just sitting and just kind of watching everything kind of come into view or fade away. Yeah. And it it definitely reminds you of that because I also knew what I was going to see. Mm -hmm. I knew and I I definitely kind of had my soundtrack in my head while I was walking (laughs) through it. Yeah. So Shihiro Bo, the little fly, and No Face, who also gets on this train. Mm Mm-hmm go over to Zaniba's house um, are on their way there but as this is happening Haku has recuperated Mm -hmm. he's all better now he's speaking to Kamaji and this is one of the points too where I realized that the dub differed from the sub Mm because the subtitles were telling me one saying one thing and then the dub was saying another thing and where something might have been lost. Because in that scene where Haku is speaking to Kamaji, they're saying Sen. So they're saying Shihiro's name in that spirit world. But in the subs, you can see that Haku is calling her Shihiro. Yeah. And Kamaji's like, oh, so that's her real name. Yeah, I noticed that too. And I think that's one of those moments that was kind of lost in the dub because once again, the importance of names in this film. And I think it was a moment that was lost. And I'm not sure what the choice behind that was, but mm-hmm. it it brought this kind of a joy to me to know that Kamaji would know Shihiro's name because it seems like they're able to remember someone else's name, but they just can't remember their own. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's interesting. And that was actually one of the things that pissed me off watching it was because I always watch things with subtitles. And it did not line up very often. The subtitles and the dub was, a lot of the times it would be like roughly the same meaning, but especially towards the end, and I noticed that where it started being like the subtitles were showing her actual name and the dub kept saying Sen. And I was I was confused by some of those differences between the two. Yeah. And I don't, once again, I don't know. It's just because of the movement of the lips. They weren't able to match it up for whatever reasons. That's definitely one of the things that it kind of saddens me and really does makes me want to watch the Japanese, original Japanese version. But I opted against it in this case, just because most people are probably going to watch it in dub. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And I wanted to kind of go off that. But um, yeah, that kind of does bring a bit of a twinge of you're like, ew, but this is not what they meant or the mentions of love. And this is a story about young love. I mean, it's not a main plot point, but it's a story about young love. And that is what broke the spell on Haku that we later find out. And I think in that moment, you're right. Like, I think it would have been important to have her real name said there rather than Sen. Because they're talking about how true love broke that spell. And I'm just, I had a flashback. And speaking Uh-oh. about this, I had a flashback. <laughs> so when I was in fourth grade, or was it third grade? I think it was fourth grade. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was fourth grade. There was this writing contest. And this is how much I love the film. And this is how much I liked anime at this point. There was this writing contest where you had to subvert people's negative associations with wolves so we had to put together a storybook. So you had to write the story and do all the drawings, which were not good <laughs> at all. But, um, and I partnered up with someone in my class, but uh, it was a story about a, a father and his daughter, and the daughter's name was Sen. And the father's name, I think, was Gohan from Dragon Ball Z. And oh so this is me in fourth grade. <laughs> and I'm not even kidding you. I think it was either Gohan or some sort of Dragon Ball Z character, but I very remember specifically I named the girl character Sen. And we actually ended up winning this contest. <laughs> and we got like some sort of plaque or certificate. They came to Aww. my school because this was, it wasn't just for the school, it was citywide. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, and I'm sad to say, I don't know what happened to that storybook. I can't even tell you the plot really of what happened um, okay yeah yeah but uh but it was spirit spirited away inspired <laughs> yes it is and you know what speaking about that there's not this clear divide between like good and bad but I think that was kind of a theme yeah in in, in the story that I that I wrote so that I you picked up on a lot of stuff from this movie. <laughs> yeah, but I guess that also speaks to just how young I was at that point, because I wrote this, obviously, after I watched Spirit Away and I was in fourth grade. That's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, imagine if the teacher had recognized, like, the character name and said, Stephanie, were you inspired by this movie? <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, so that is my uh, little tidbit from my childhood and And how this movie inspired (laughs) yes how this movie inspired me but just how how much I love this film and how much it impacted my future interests and I was speaking to boyfriend about this when I was telling him what uh what what movie we were doing this week and if it weren't for films like this don't think my interest in Japanese culture, in animation and film, and which eventually grew into an interest in Korean culture and food and K-dramas and all those things that I really love now, I don't think I would love them the way I do now if not for these films that kind of sparked it. Yeah, that kind of laid the foundation for it. Mm-hmm. 
And once again, that thing about anime that it's able to grow with you as a viewer. Yeah, exactly. It's not just for the young viewers. It has a lot of meaning for people as they like reach adulthood as well. Back to the film. Uh, just they oh take the God. train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back from her little distraction. We find out that Haku's fine. Mm-hmm. And Yubaba realizes after Haku brings it up that uh, her little baby boy is gone. Her chonker of a baby has disappeared. Yes, he has uh, disappeared. Um, it turns out the three bouncing heads that we saw, which, by the way, really creeped me out as a child. Those yeah, are, I can see that. Yeah, it creeped me out as a child. And I believe I saw this scene, like the original scene, the Japanese version, back at Pacific Mall here in Toronto. Okay. Back at Pacific Mall because they were playing. I remember going to Pacific Mall as a child and seeing that on a TV screen and kind of being like weirded out by it. But this is before I had seen the film in English. Oh, okay. so it was that's probably my first glimpse of that film. Yeah. So those were those three bouncing heads were transformed into the little baby boy, so Bo, and then the spell seems to dissipate and mm-hmm. she realizes that Bo is gone. And so she loses her, I'm not going to say the word, but (laughs) But she's in a fury. She's in a fury, but I love that scene with her hair. Yeah, her hair, which is usually like kind of well-kept and in this bun on top of her head, goes everywhere and she's got like, I don't know, it looks like steam coming out of her mouth. She's just so angry. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Haku makes a deal with her, basically. And I just want to make sure I got the terms of the deal right. Because <laughs> now I forgot it. He says he's going to get, um, no, it's not the seal that he's going to, he doesn't no, get the seal back. No, he, no, he no. that he would go and grab Bo back. There we go. There. So Haku makes a deal with her that he's going to get Bo back, but in return, he wants Yubaba to break the contract um, that she has with Sen and allow Sen and her parents to go back to the human world. And so Yubaba says, fine, but I want to be able to test Sen one last time. There's going to be one final test for her. If she gets it right, then she can leave. If she doesn't, she's got to work here forever. Yes, and then we go back to where No Face, uh, Shihiro, uh, Mouse Bow, Chonker. I'm just going to call him Chonker Chonker from now on. They're making their way back. um, Sorry, they're making their way to Zuniba's house. Mm -hmm. And there's this moment where the little fly gets tired and can no longer lift Chunker. Yep. And he starts walking on all four legs and starts carrying the little fly on his back. Yeah. Shiro says to him, it's like, if you want, I could carry you on my shoulder. And he's kind of just like, no. And that's a little, there's this character growth for Bo. Yeah. Where he literally acts, at the beginning, acts like he cannot even speak. Mm-hmm. Literally a baby has no ability to speak at all. She find out he can. And when we get to Zaniba's house, we find out that the spell had already worn off. And they were just kind of not choosing to turn back into their original forms. So they're just kind yeah. of spinning on this wheel, kind of like yeah. a little, it's a spinning wheel for thread, but it's like a, they almost act like it's a hamster wheel. Yeah, exactly. And they're happily working away. 
yeah, they've kind of like found a new use for themselves and they feel a little bit more responsible, I guess. I think there's like kind of this ongoing theme in this film, this how entering the workforce or doing work or learning how to do things on your own is kind of just kind of like that first step towards, you know, growing out of childhood. No face seems to find a new home as well. He's discovered that he's a very good spinner of thread. Yes, and all her friends work together and they create a hair tie for Shihiro. And because her friends mm-hmm. work together and made it, it's meant to protect her. This hair tie is, as we'll see in the end, like it, it, it signifies something. We find out Haku's spell is broken. He's fine, but she does not know how she's going to get back. And then um, we see that this is the last scene, right? They're still at Zuniba's house. They're still at Zuniba's house, and she's Haku. like, Zuniba's like, oh, this is perfect timing. And Haku arrives, is I taking all it. of them uh, and takes them all back. And Shihiro's flying on Haku's back, who is currently a dragon in his dragon form. Yeah. Oh, yes. And that is when Shihiro has a flash of memory. Mm-hmm. And she recalls that uh, when she was very young, her shoe had fallen into the river. Yeah. And, and so she, she went into the river to try to pick it up. Um, and at that point there, she got trapped in the river and she thought she was going to drown. But the water kind of carried her back to the shore and she was safe. And she realizes in that memory that she's met Haku before. And she says, you were the one who brought me back. You were the one who kept me safe. And she says that happened in the Kohaku River. Yes. She's like, I think that's your name, Kohaku. And he transforms in back. He can still see. It seems like he can still fly, mm-hmm. um, but they're falling through the air. But later you find out they're still flying. But yes, and Kohaku finally finds out his real name. And you find out why he can't go back home. It's because they built over top of the river. Kohaku River no longer exists. Uh, they built a complex over it. Mm -hmm. apartment complex over it but and once again you see where haku comes from because his actual name is kohaku and yubaba must have stripped away that part of his name and again a little bit of a theme there on the environment with the fact that he can't go back home because the river who he was has been built upon with houses this is one of those moments that we're talking about before where the dub deviates from the sub in that you, the information's not, I mean, you still get to the main point, mm-hmm. but you get more information from the sub. Yeah. So we still find out that Kohaku is actually the Kohaku River. And this is kind of like what I was speaking up before, where you find out that Kohaku is a river spirit. And foreshadowing that we had before about him being the dragon light fair and he was a river spirit. Yeah, exactly. Which I didn't notice when I watched it. It was only when you mentioned it now that I thought, oh, yeah. Well, that that definitely matches up. So eventually we float back to the bathhouse for Shihiro's test. Mm-hmm. She's got all the pigs lined up and uh, Chonker, otherwise known as Bo, <laughs> thinks that Yubaba should just let Shihiro go and not put her through a final test. But Shihiro's, she's grown as a character at this point and she's ready to be tested and she thinks she's got what it takes. Um, and her final test is to look at that pen of pigs and figure out which one are her parents. So does she remember what her parents 
looked like, what they were like. And she spot them in a pen full of pigs that all look identical to me. <laughs> um, and so she's looking through them and she says, none of the pigs here are my parents. They're not here. Yubaba says, is that your final answer here? And she's like, yeah. And she's correct. And just like that, the contract is broken. Yes. And everyone celebrates and they're actually quite happy for Shihiro. Mm. And again, to the testament of the fact that no character in this film is like completely a villain, Yubaba's true to her word and she kind of just lets it go at that point, right? She doesn't try to do anything else to keep Shihiro behind. She honors the terms of that negotiation. We find out that Shiro's parents woke up on the other side of the river because it's mm-hmm. now daytime. So there's that lake is now that little stream, essentially. It's not even a river. It's a, it's a stream. Yeah. Kohaku takes her back and tells her that she has to keep on walking, but she's, she cannot look back. Right. And she's tempted at a certain point, too. Yeah. You can see a moment where she's walking back towards the tunnel and... She kind of turns her head and stops and stays still for a moment and then continues walking. So she reunites with her parents and it's kind of as if nothing has happened. (laughs) Yes, they're still going to meet the movers. And I'm sorry to tell them the fact that I'm pretty sure the movers have like come and gone at this point. Because when they get back to their car, there's their car is... There's dusty. a layer of dusty and there's like a layer of leaves. So time has passed. Yeah. And you kind of leave off the film wondering, did this actually happen? Like, did, did, this, did the events that Shihiro saw actually happen? Or did he just kind of like a film of her imagination? Yeah. And what happens with the car is one sign that it's not. But also when she comes back, you can see her hair tie is the same hair tie that uh, Zaniba had given her. Right. Right. So you can see that there's evidence there that it wasn't just a dream, that something had actually transpired. Um, And certainly in terms of her character growth, it's clear that something has transpired because the father is saying as they're driving back in the car, he's admitting, you know, it can be scary moving to a new place and like having to go to a new school and and everything. And Shahira says, no, it's okay. I think I'll be fine at this point. (laughs) And the film ends. That's the ending to it. So, Vanessa, for your first anime film, like, what did you think of it? What are your final comments on it? My final comments. Okay. This is a bit. Um, when I watched... Okay, I have to... Full disclosure. I don't like fantasy films. <laughs> I, I don't like fantasy it. books. It is not a genre that interests me. And I've known this for, like, quite some time. Because, I like, I used to read a lot. Um, and I slowly started to realize that, like, fantasy books just didn't do it for me. I like more of like the realistic stuff. So the part of this film that I did not like was all the fantasy elements, <laughs> which admittedly is a lot. Um, but also admittedly, uh, as I saw from one re- review, this movie does mix the human and the fantastical and the world of realism and the world of the magical very well. And I think the parts of the movie that I really did enjoy were the parts that were realistic and human. And it's not to say that I didn't enjoy the other parts of it, because I think I can appreciate the immense imagination that went into creating a film like this. Like all of the characters are just so unique and there's so much thought put into everything. And even, I mean, watching it for the first time, I think you probably don't pick up on everything that's happening, but even like talking about it now 
and looking into stuff later on, I realized, you know, messages behind some of those characters and plot lines, which I think are really valuable and really applicable to today's society as well. So I I do appreciate how much went into it. And I think the animation is really visually quite stunning. The musical score is really nice. Um, I like what he was inspired by to make the movie. I think that's really nice that he was trying to make it for young girls. So all of that I really enjoyed. I just, for me, there was so much magical realism in it that that was the part that I really had trouble getting over. (laughs) Well, you are also not a 10-year-old girl, which I actually was at that time, probably around that age. And I do wonder if maybe it would have made a difference, like watching it when younger. I'll say also... That after having talked about it right now, initially I was like, would I rewatch it again? I'm not sure. Having talked about it now, I think it's given an added layer to how much kind of went into the film and how much I probably admittedly missed mm-hmm. in the film that I think it is worth a rewatch to kind of pick up on all those elements that I didn't catch the first time. Yeah. And in particular, I would like to re like, I obviously have rewatched it several times. Yeah. Yeah. But what it would be interesting is maybe watching it with a child and seeing kind of like what they think about it and experience it not only through your eyes again, watching it as an adult, but what it's like for them to experience it. Mm -hmm. And what parts they really respond to and what they pick up on and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that would be pretty valuable to see that alternate perspective. Um, I kind of do wish I watched it. I had watched it when I was younger because I would be curious to see how the young me reacted to that. And maybe the young me was a little bit more open to um, fantasy movies as well. Not not to say that this is solely a fantasy movie. I'm just saying like those aspects that are more like that and more within that realm. Yeah. And it's kind of like what I was telling you before about like watching it at that age did impact my interests later on. Yeah. I'm very open to the fantasy elements, um, but I'm not exactly sure at what point that started. Mm-hmm. This might have been one of those things that kind of laid the foundation for it, or maybe you kind of already liked it to begin with when you watch this. Who knows, right? I will yeah. say, though, like I can understand, I could certainly understand why it won an Oscar. I can understand what a lot of the hype behind it was because when you break it down there's just so much more to it and there's so much thought that was put into it and I'm sure so much work in the animation of it because it really is gorgeously animated it's fantastic but also it's not going to be the first of its type that you're going to be watching yeah I'm aware of that (laughs) (laughs) I'm aware of that so prepare um, yourself. I think, you know what, there's one other thing that I think probably made a bit of a difference for me. Watching it with the intention of like knowing that I was going to speak about it after, I was really kind of like focused because it's a very, I would say it's a pretty elaborate plot. There's a lot of stuff going on and there's a lot of little details here and there that are important. And I think I kind of got caught up in all of those details. And I think in the process of doing that, I also sort of lost some of the other parts of the movie, like the bigger themes that were important. So I think watching it a second time would be beneficial to, you know, no longer have to worry about those tiny little plot lines and just focus on the bigger picture. Yeah, that's true. Because me knowing what was going to happen, I was able to decide what I wanted to focus on. Yeah. Just because I already knew what was going to happen. 
Yeah, exactly. I, on the other hand, was like, oh, I don't, I don't know what's happening. And I really, I had no idea what this movie was about before I watched it. Like literally not a clue. So when I realized this stuff was happening, I'm like, oh my God, there's so much going on here. <laughs> like, I don't know which part of it is going to be the most important. <laughs> um, and so that focus on like, got to make sure you know what's happening kind of made me lose sight of some of the other stuff that was happening. Yeah, well, Vanessa, mm-hmm. guess what? It is now your turn. It is. Are it's we going to rate turn? this movie, though? Oh, yeah, sorry. I mean, how could I forget? I. <laughs> it, it's very difficult for me to rate this movie because I have a perspective on it from when I was, like I said, a child. Mm-hmm. I would definitely give it, as a child, probably a nine. And now, as an adult, probably because it's just something that I can still, I still love that I can go back to and I can still identify with elements of it. I can still discover new things about it. So I'd still, once again, rewatch it, but not to the extent that I would as a kid. Yeah. So I think it would go down to an eight for me now. I would say on the first watch, I wanted to rate it as a seven. Not so much because of the quality of the movie, because I can appreciate that it is a good quality movie. I would say more from my own enjoyability, um, just because of the nature of the film and what it's about. It's not like my most favorite genre, that sort of magical realism. So I would have rated it as a seven. But after talking about it and all of the other details and the work that went into this, I'm going to bump it up to an eight. Really? And I would say that I would be open to a rewatch um, because I think there's a lot more that I could pick up from it that I didn't didn't the first time around. You know what? I think if you have a DVD player, you should borrow. (laughs) You should borrow my DVD copy so you can uh, hear the commentary on it. I think that would actually be really beneficial. Mm -hmm. I think I would appreciate that. Okay. So now, Vanessa, what are you making me watch next week? Oh, we're going through a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> oh, did you know what it was going to be? Or yeah. from yeah. even I, from last week? Yeah, I knew exactly what I wanted to make you watch. Um, I'm nervous. The thing is, <laughs> these these episodes are going to be just from one thing to the next, very very different topics. Next week, Stephanie, you will be watching the classic. The severely underrated, I would say. <laughs> Truly a work of art. Too hot to handle. Oh, the TV series. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Which is also in some ways too hot to handle. <laughs> and I will just say, I've already tried to watch this one. I, I believe when it first came out and you first watched it and you first recommended it to me, I got through 20 minutes of the first episode and I gave up because I literally couldn't handle it. Yeah. But now I'm being forced to. You'd be forced to, so you're going to have to sit through it. Look, here, we're, we're only really covering three episodes, so it's your choice if you want to watch the rest or not. But I will say, I think that once you get through the initial, and what I will admit is very serious cringe in that first episode, you kind of fall into a rabbit hole. Oh, boy. Well, I, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, people definitely fall into holes in this show. Figuratively, literally. <laughs> But I guess that we'll have to add like another question to the end of the next episode. It's, will I continue to watch it? Exactly, because this time we're doing a series, not a movie. So should be interesting. Definitely. 
Interesting. I appreciate your facial expressions right now, which obviously nobody else can see, but she looks very pained. (laughs) I just, I mean, I can't remember exactly what made me cringe the last time, but um, you know what? Who knows? I I can find it entertaining, probably. Mm -hmm. There's some entertainment to be had. Well, folks, that's all for now. And I guess we'll see you uh, next week. I will warn you that I might have lost a couple of brain cells by the end of my three episodes of Too Hot to Handle. But um, I guess that's the price that we have to pay for entertainment, right? Mm -hmm. We'll see if the Stefan even makes it to next week. I'm hoping, but you know. Well, that's all for now, folks. And we'll see you next week. This was a blast. (laughs) 